it just seemed natural that farmed animals should be our focus. That's the group of animals about whom everybody forgets. There are loads of uh, dog and cat rescues. There's equine rescues. There's exotics, the big cats. But farmed animal rescues, not so much. Those are the animals who are among the most exploited on our planet. Hi, I'm Erin Ammerman, and you're entering a world gone good. Well, hello, my name is Steve, and this, as my guest just told you, is World Gone Good. What is World Gone Good, you ask? It's the podcast where we shine the light into the darkness or find the light in the darkness. Together, we do these things and we prove this world of ours isn't as crappy as we hear 24-7 on cable news channels everywhere. You can help us spread the good. How, you ask? Well, that's a good question. You share our show on your own social media. You subscribe where you are listening to us right now. You rate and review us. All these ways help us grow our audience. And if you've ever wondered, after all these times of me encouraging you to share and subscribe and rate and review, does it really work, Steve? Does it really work? Does it matter? Well, my friends, this here little show of ours is in the top 5% of downloaded and listened to in all podcasts worldwide. So the answer is yes, it works. And as always, we say thank you. Yes, thank you for spreading the good with us. Okay, so you know I love animals. I have three dogs and a cat. I volunteered at the Palm Springs Animal Shelter where I walked very large and very strong uh, dogs daily. It was a good workout. I also volunteered at the Santa Barbara Humane Society, where I spent days playing with cats and kittens to help socialize them for their new owners to come. And I've shared my love of animals with all of you right here on the pod. Think about my guests like Ellie from The Gentle Barn and Kristen from Vintage Pet Rescue and Denise from Sama Farm Cow Rescue. Cows, cows, cows are the perfect segue to my guest today. Oh, this guest of mine knows a few things about cows. Aaron Ammerman came up with the idea for Critter Creek Farm Sanctuary, and that spark of a good idea turned into the most cows ever in one sanctuary in our country. This is Aaron's good. Aaron Ammerman, you are with me from Critter Creek Farm Sanctuary in Gainesville, Florida. Correct. This is where you spend your life? You've lived your life? You grew up here? I grew up in Gainesville for the most part, correct. And to be blunt, you love cows. Indeed, indeed. I I love all animals, uh, but have a particular fondness for cows. I would have to since I have about 150 of them. Unreal. Okay, so you have 150 cows. This started somewhere. Where did this somewhere? Where did this journey start? So this journey started uh, from kind of a strange place back when I was a kid. I was a little bit of a sickly kid with asthma and allergies, which I still have, and was never able to have a pet. But my mother, who was in nursing school at the time, read that having uh, a hamster was good for kids with asthma and allergies. So she asked me if I wanted a hamster. And I said, of course. And we went to the pet store 
ticket one and told the young woman that I wanted this cute little hamster. So she took a hamster out. Uh, the hamster bit her. Um, then she handed the hamster to me. The hamster also bit me um, and peed on me. And uh, she said, well, maybe let's try another one. So she put that little hamster back and took out another one. That hamster bit me too. <laughs> so she said, have you ever thought about a rat? And you know, my mom and I looked at each other like rat, you know, people don't have rats as pets. And she told us that rats are actually wonderful little critters and that nobody gives them a chance. And I've, I've always had a thing for the underdog. And so she, she kind of won me over right there. Uh, she took out a couple of rats. They were delightful. They ran up and sat on my shoulder. Uh, they did pee on me, but nobody bit me. Uh, so that was that. And I left with a rat. And my, my rat, whose name was Templeton, uh, was a wonderful, truly delightful little guy, full of personality. But other people did not share my enthusiasm for my rat, especially adults. I took him to school one day for show and tell because I figured that if only people met him, that they would realize just how cool he was. And, and I got a lot of really nasty comments from um, especially teachers, <laughs> surprisingly, to this seven or eight-year-old child um, saying things like they wanted to throw him away and they were going to feed him to a snake. And it really, really confused me because these teachers had gerbils and hamsters as class pets. And my rat was basically the same as their gerbils and hamsters. He was just significantly less likely to bite anybody. <laughs> so I, I couldn't figure out why we put hamsters and gerbils in one category and rats in another. As I got a little bit older, I looked at the food that I was eating and realized that um, we did this for a lot of different animals. So we, we love and revere horses, but we eat cows and we cherish our dogs, but we eat pigs. We think eagles are majestic, but we eat chickens and turkeys and ducks. So when that realization hit me, I, I couldn't uh, eat animals anymore. I was 14 at the time. And I decided that what happened to animals in our world was simply not just, and that I was going to do something to fix it. And that began my road to a lifetime of rescuing various critters. In fact, in, uh, in 1997, right after I got married, I, I told my husband, you know, we're going to need at least 100 acres and it has to have a creek because I'm going to open Critter Creek Animal Sanctuary. So this has been in the works for a long time, uh, and I'm really thrilled to finally be here today. Okay, a couple of things we got to talk about. First of all, animals peeing on you is like, that's you're like the pee whisperer, <laughs> and I'm all good with that. <laughs> you named your rat Templeton after Charlotte's Web. Yes, and you know, Templeton and Charlotte's Web was not the nicest rat. <laughs> he, it was, was Paul Lind. It was Paul Lind. I mean, what were you expecting? Yeah, so he he was greedy and he was lazy and he was surly. Uh, so the name really, truly doesn't fit. Um, but Templeton was the only rat name that I knew at age seven. So Templeton, it was. He, he redefined 
the name. So something I ask um, a lot of the sanctuary and a lot of the rescues that come on our show, a question is this. Did you start out um, going to college on this journey, wanting to become a veterinarian, wanting to becoming something social aspect? Did you have another whole life before you bridged over to the world you live in now? My plan was always to do something that enabled me to earn a strong enough living that I could open my sanctuary. Um, I, I was not drawn to something like veterinary medicine because it would be really, really hard. Um, but it, euthanizing an animal, that's that's such a, a... I admire people who can do that when it's the right thing to do, but it's not something that I could do on a day-to-day basis. Sure. So I thought that, that my role in caring for animals would be something else. Uh, I actually went to medical school, graduated from medical school. And instead of going into medicine, I went into education. And then from there, I kind of accidentally fell into writing textbooks. And that's what I've been doing since 2003. And that's what I still do. That's how I fund the nonprofit. Um, so I, I have like two full-time jobs, but you know, I wouldn't want it any other way. Where did the name Critter Creek come from? I have no idea. <laughs> oh, wait. So, okay. So had you thought about it or you just said this to your husband? It came out of your mouth. It just came out of my mouth. I don't know why. It just did. It, it sounded good in my head. And so, poof, <laughs> there it was. And what did he say? Now, were you, wait, were you married yet? Yeah, we had been married for a few months at that point. Okay, so he was stuck. He didn't really have a choice. I'm kidding. kidding, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what was his reaction? Um, he nodded and he smiled and he said, okay. And I assume he thought that I would lose interest or that I would forget or you know, just move on to other things. And he was wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> to, to 20-something years later, here we are. <laughs> Wow. So where did the journey start? What was the first cow? How did you, did you first go and get your 501c3 together? What, how did it begin? In 2012, I found a 125 acre property that had a creek on it. It was for sale at a good price. And by that point, I had written enough books and saved enough money that I could purchase it. Next door to this forest was um, a farm of sorts, a 75-acre farm. But it was for sale for roughly like a gajillion dollars. Um, I had not saved up quite that much money. (laughs) So we had to just sit back and wait. And in 2015, that property finally came down in price. And we were able to purchase it. And Critter Creek was born. That 125-acre forest, we didn't really want to bulldoze it. You know, I wanted to keep that as a wildlife preserve. So the 75 acres that was already cleared next to it was really the perfect setting for Critter Creek. But then the question became, whom to rescue? There are so many different species of animals who actually need help. And uh, since it was a farm... It just seemed natural that farmed 
animals should be our focus. That's the group of animals about whom everybody forgets. There are loads of uh, dog and cat rescues. There's equine rescues. There's the exotics, the you know, big cats. But farmed animal rescues, not so much. And those are the animals who are among the most exploited on our planet. So Critter Creek Farm Sanctuary was born. And in 2016, we got our first three cows now, I'm often asked, and you're probably going to ask as well, so I'm just going to jump in, <laughs> uh, why cows? And uh, the answer is that down the road from our previous house was um, like a small family-owned ranch-type setting, you know, one of those fabled small, humane family farms. Uh, and uh, they it was a cattle operation. And we noticed many, many years ago that at certain times of year, the cows would just start yowling and they would yowl and cry for days. And we had no idea what was going on, like why they were so upset. And finally, we saw the reason we saw a transport truck pull up, load up all the babies and all of the adults whom they deemed to be coal cows and uh, take them away. We saw the reaction the cows had to that. And so that put a different context on their crying. And that really created a, a soft spot for, for cows and for the fact that people don't see them. They, they don't see their personalities. They don't see their complexities. They don't see their suffering. Uh, so that combined with the fact that cows tend to be hard to place. Um, they're big, they require a lot of space, and they usually come in groups. Um, that just kind of naturally drew us to cows. So 2016, we started with three cows. Uh, by 2018, I think that had gone up to about 50. Wow. And uh, now here, here we are. Uh, we eventually had to purchase a second facility. This one was a 200-acre cattle ranch that was set up perfectly already for cows. So that allowed us to expand significantly. And now we have over 150 bovines, including a bison and a water buffalo. Okay, so random question. Do you name the cows? Oh, of course. <laughs> Can you look out and be like, Charlie... Pepper, like, do you do you know them immediately? Uh huh. Oh my god, good for you! One hundred and fifty kids, and you can remember all their names. Yeah, well, we actually have also twenty one pigs and eleven horses, and a couple turkeys, um, and then ten donkeys. So it's plus six dogs, sixteen cats, uh, and a couple of rats. So, so it's actually two hundred and something children to name. Making you the largest cow bovine rescue? Mm-hmm. In the United States. In the United States. As far as we know, I will insert that disclaimer that there might be somebody we've never heard of who happens to be larger. But as far as I know, we are the largest. Now, can the animals all 
get together or are they um, sectioned off in their own areas? Who gets along with who is what I'm asking. Okay. So it really varies depending on species and the individual animals. Different herds have different needs. So for example, at our second facility, uh, we have four separate cow herds. Two are medical quarantines. One is with a disease called uh, bovine viral diarrhea, and another is with a disease called Yoni's disease. Those are both contagious, so they're in their own areas. Um, Then we have our main herd that includes 70-something cows, the bison, and the water buffalo. And then we have recently rescued group of 40 cows and their nine babies, uh, they have to. They were severely neglected and emaciated when they got to us, so they have to be fed a special diet every day. So they're in their own area. Oh yeah, and then there's also there's the preschool too. We're, we call it the preschool. It, it's it's the area where uh, some of our medically vulnerable critters go. Wouldn't be advantageous for them to be out on like 80 acres. They need to be in a smaller area. At the other facility, for the most part, the cows are with cows, the pigs are with pigs, and the donkeys are with donkeys. But we do have a couple of uh, pig-cow duos uh, who who formed this weird, odd couple-type friendship, and and so they get to stay together. We don't so much worry that cows would attack pigs or or the vice versa. It's just, they have different needs. Uh, Pigs are woodland creatures. So they like going in the woods and they will tear up the grass that the cows need to eat. So, you know, that's the main reason that they're kept on their own. Well, that leads me to the question I was going to ask you, because when I spoke to Denise Montrose of Sama Farms in Tennessee, she's a small, much smaller cow rescue than you, but she started with one blind half blind cow. And now she's up to, I think four or five. Mm -hmm. She has a cave on her property. And we talked about the cows going in the cave. So this is the question I was about to ask you, who goes in the forest? Who comes out of the forest? How do you get them out of the forest? (laughs) (laughs) Um, The, for the most part, the forest is fenced off. Okay. So that it can be a dedicated wildlife sanctuary. There is an area that's fenced for the pigs, like a two and a half area kind of playground for them. And then about five acres of the cows pastures is also pretty heavily wooded because cows like woods too. Um, And it's all contained so that we don't have to go chasing them out in the woods. But, you know, the interesting thing is that these are animals who trust us, they're happy, they're content. And so if they happen to get out and get into the woods, we're never really that upset about it because they're very easy to get back. They will come right back because they're not running away from us. They're not fleeing. They're just exploring. In fact, that happened not that long ago. Uh, Cows are very, very smart and they love messing with gates because it's like a puzzle to them. Sure. So we usually have extra latches on the gates, but there's one we apparently missed. And so they managed to open it and a whole big group of them got out into the forest 
And, and Chris pulled up, Chris is my husband, he's the sanctuary director. He pulled up and was greeted to um, a, a, just a bunch of cows standing there in, in the dirt road that leads to our place. They were nowhere near the road, so it was fine. And he was just like, oh, hello, the <laughs> welcoming committee. They, they were happy to see him and they came right up and they just led them back to where they were supposed to go. And it was no real drama. Where do you get your cows? Are, do you get calls? Do you make calls? Is there an application the cow fills out online? I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> um, the majority of our cases come from referrals through other sanctuaries or through other rescue groups. For example, like the, um, the South Florida SPCA Horse Rescue, they do primarily horses, as their name would imply. Uh, but they also rescue any and all types of farmed animals if they need it. Uh, we have had a partnership with them since back early 2017, and probably half of our residents come from them. And their residents tend to be those that were seized from cruelty cases. We also get referrals from law enforcement Again, where they've seized animals from cruelty and neglect cases. We don't really take uh, what we call owner surrenders because we're, we're a sanctuary, but we're not like an animal shelter, you know, where I don't want my dog anymore. So I'm going to drop off my dog at the pound. You know, we, we can't function that way. We get calls and messages sometimes every day about people wanting to rehome their their rooster, their cow, their pig, their alpaca. And we have to say no to almost all of those cases. And that allows us to save the space for these emergency types of you know, cruelty cases and, and other emergency rescues that come up. Is there a limit to how many animals you can have? Is it based on your space or... What, what do you have an, do you have like, when did you hit a point of like 25? Like that's the most. And then, then suddenly it was 150, 200, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> right. There's no judgments. I'm not judging you. <laughs> um, with cows, they say that you should have at least one acre per cow. So that is kind of our, our hard limit. You know, we have about, I would say 200 or so maybe 250 acres of grazable land between the two facilities. So our, our hard upper limit would be about 250, but that would really, really be pushing it. And, and we would be risking the health of the grass if we did that. And since the grass is their main food, uh, we don't want to do that. Where we are right now at about 150, I think it's actually more than 150 because we've had some babies born to our uh, latest rescue crew. They arrived pregnant. We, we don't breed anybody here. Um, but uh, if they arrive pregnant, then we, you know, keep the babies and the moms together. So at, at about 150, that is probably just about the limit. 
We end these shows with three questions, but I have a fourth question for you, and I'm going to start with that. How do you fund this, and how can people help you fund it? That's a brilliant question. Thank you for asking. Critter Creek Farm Sanctuary is a 501c3 nonprofit, and Critter Creek Farm Sanctuary's main donor is me. (laughs) Um, As of right now, uh, my husband and I together donate about 75% of the operating expenses to Critter Creek. We do have a good amount of support from the public, and that has been increasing over the last couple of years, which has been brilliant. And uh, we really, really appreciate that. On our website, which is just CritterCreekFarmSanctuary.org, there are links to different ways to support, whether it's through a platform called DonorBox or Patreon, Venmo, um, purchasing something off of our Amazon wish list, or simply following our accounts on social media. We're Critter Creek Farm Sanctuary on Instagram and on Facebook as well. The outreach that we can do can only get us so far, but if we have a system of supporters behind us who are amplifying that message, it goes so much further. So if somebody is not able to help out financially, simply following the accounts, engaging with the posts, and then sharing the posts and sharing the stories is a great tangible way to help our mission. Question number two, what would you tell anybody who wants to go down the path you've gone down? What advice? A lot of people who run sanctuaries uh, would say, don't, (laughs) don't go down that path. Uh, I I am not that pessimistic um, or or cynical yet. Um, I would say if you want to go down this path, please do it. We need more sanctuaries out there. The best way to start would probably be to start small. Make sure you are okay with giving up your weekends. Make sure you're okay with giving up your vacations. It's an entire lifestyle. It's not just going out and hugging cows, although there is some of that. So much of it is hard work. It's emotional work. It's draining work. Um, So just make sure that that's actually what you want. And so starting with something like a micro sanctuary, where you just rescue a few animals that are the same species, like a a few backyard chickens or a couple of goats, something like that, and, uh, and get your feet wet that way. Also, go volunteer and work with other farmed animal sanctuaries because uh, that will give you a good taste for what it's like. And our final two questions we always end our shows on can be reflective of anything we've already spoken about or anything you want to say. Question number one is, who inspires you? Hmm. I've never been a person who... Like f- followed celebrities or followed leaders or or anything like that. I I mean I I can say that for example my my mom is an inspiration for everything that she's done in her life. Um, you know, but in in terms of of like who inspired me to do this, 
I wouldn't say that it was a, a human. Um, it, it was probably that rat. <laughs> um, as as strange as that may sound, it, it was that experience that really lit this fire inside of me and set me on this path. And, you know, once I go for something, I'm going to go for it and I'm going to go as big as I possibly can. Um, I won't be satisfied until we have the biggest sanctuary in the world. And then we have put ourselves out of business because there is no more animal cruelty. <laughs> I don't know if that answered your question. Any answer. It's it's your it's your inspiration. And, and that's a big goal to have. But like you said, I think even if you take a little bite out of something, you know, a little bucket of water, you know, can build an ocean. You know, if we all do it together. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's the final question, and it can go back to anything you want to talk about or anything you have to say. Tell me something good. Um, what do you mean by tell you something good? That's up to you. <laughs> okay. So we just took in this herd of 40 cows. Uh, it was the largest rescue that we've ever done. And uh, they were a group of severely emaciated creatures. Uh, they were kind of pathetic looking. Um, and they were terrified of the humans. They were terrified of us. Uh, we found out shortly after taking them in that 10 of them were pregnant and there was one we found out was pregnant. Her name is Celeste, and she was particularly emaciated. And so I was really worried about her. I was, my heart kind of fell when I found out that she was pregnant. Uh, about a month and a half ago, uh, Chris and I were out doing the evening feed, and we decided to go down to the bottom field. And we saw Celeste down at the bottom uh, laying down with, with what, what looked like a giant cow turd next to her. And then we saw the giant cow turd move a little bit, and we realized that it was a baby cow, uh, but a really, really tiny one. So we we drove down there and saw him, and his smallest calf we've ever seen. Uh, he's maybe 15 pounds. Um, normally, Celeste is a pretty big cow, so she should have given birth to about a 60-pound cow. So like he's a quarter the size of what he should have been. And, uh, and we realized that we, we had to pick him up and we needed to take him to the barn. Celeste is an older cow. She has likely had many, many babies taken from her. And so having to steal her baby right in front of her was completely crushing. And at this point, I thought that there was no way this baby was going to survive. We got him to the barn. And he was freezing. He, he couldn't stand up on his own. Uh, let alone get up. You know, he couldn't even stand once we propped him up. So I was pretty sure that he was not going to make it. But by the next day, we named him Mo, which is short for Muhammad Ali, because we hoped that he would be a fighter. So by the next day, Mo was actually able to stand up. The day after that, he took his first steps. And started nursing really well. Uh, and the day after that, he took his first little run. 
And so this tiny, tiny, tiny little creature had so much uh, fight in him, so much will to live uh, that he started to thrive. And we were able to bring Celeste up so that they were next to each other. And as soon as he was able to get up on his own fast enough, uh, we started to put them together uh, to try to teach him how to nurse, not on the bottle, but on his mom. And uh, we were able to put them together. And now he is probably like 65 pounds. So he's about the size of a newborn calf normally, Uh, but he's thriving So he fought to survive and he won. And it's one of our best success stories. And it's one of the stories that uh, makes me the happiest. Thank you, Aaron, for sharing your good. Visit the Critter Creek website to learn more about how you can support them right cow. (laughs) See what I did there? Next time on World Gone Good. We have a big problem right now with our climate, and it's all caused by humans, not animals. Humans are out of step with the nature, and what we need more than anything is to get more in touch with nature. We're keeping our animal theme going. Georgia Umano is a teacher, an activist, and an author. Her new book, Terriers in the Jungle, explores the adventures she has taken along with her dogs Roxy and Romeo as they experience the peaceful beauty of elephants in Africa. We're going to talk about her journeys, her dogs, her elephants, and her mission. Until then, be good. <laughs>